This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. It's Michael here, and today I've got somebody that I was fortunate enough to meet in person at the New Media Summit in Tampa earlier in 2019, J.P. McAvoy. How are you doing, J.P.? I am doing fantastic, Michael. Thank you for that. And I got to tell you, and uh, shout out to your uh, listeners as well, one of the reasons I was there was because of Michael, and of course, we stayed very close since, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, that's good. You know, so there's one person on the planet that listens to me. That's good. <laughs> uh, that's that's good. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can, you know, get a movement here and get a couple of people to follow. But no, we, we, it was, it was great to connect with you down there. And, you know, obviously we chatted beforehand and, and your background is law and you know, a lot of my audience listens or the audience that listens are entrepreneurs and small business owners and, and things like that. And one of the things I see too often uh, with people that launch businesses is they don't think about the legal aspect of, of starting a business, whether it's just having the right paperwork filed, uh, protections, um, insurance, you name it. Um, they, they think that they'll, they'll take care of all that stuff, you know, once the business starts to grow. And um, it's one of those things, like we said in the pre-show notes, um, it's a heck of a lot easier to fix your house if your basement is solid. If your basement isn't, or the foundation of your home isn't solid, then you're going to have huge problems down the road and it may happen before you think. So um, tell us a little bit, you know, about some of the work that you do uh, in that front and, 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 you know, what are some of the common things you see, you know, entrepreneurs and small business owners run into uh, when they don't take care of uh, those matters uh, first and foremost. Yes, absolutely, Michael. And a uh, great lead into that question, because as you say, I think one of the reasons we hit it off right from the beginning is, uh, is uh, we have both seen people dealing with issues uh, when their hair's on fire, right? And uh, part of your skill set is making sure that people don't actually get to that point and allowing them to manage things so uh, they don't progress to that point. As a lawyer, similarly, uh, I'm hopefully working with somebody to, to put a plan into place uh, and uh, uh, avoid the big problems that would uh, lead somebody to you know, light their hair on fire or pull their hair out. Um, and uh, one of the ways that I do that is I work with the clients right up the front is establish what the end game is, what the end game is, what the end game is for the client. Uh, and a uh, business person, oftentimes it's uh, creating a business, a thriving business uh, with a view to eventually selling it. And with that end game in mind, uh, I uh, work a plan with them and I put a structure in a place that allows them to, minimize their tax on the sale and protect themselves uh, from the time that they create the business until the, until the end game has been realized. A lot of people, as you say, they start carrying on business, they, they get going without thinking about what they're trying to accomplish and what the end game looks like and they expose themselves to the process. So the simple act of incorporating, for example, is going to allow someone to, on a sale, sell tax efficiently and uh, protect themselves, protect themselves from liability all the way through. So they don't end up in that situation where, again, their hair is on fire. Well, if somebody that doesn't have any hair, it would be really problematic <laughs> for me because it'd be like that my scalp is on fire, and I'm guessing that's not going to feel good either. You know, it's I'm, I'm glad you you mentioned the point of the end game because, and this is a conversation that I've had uh, with you know, Dr. Arlene Batiso, who's a, a business partner of mine, about you know our consulting organization, and you know, I told her it's like you know one of these things you have to think about when 
we launched this business is, you know, what is, what's the end game? You know, what, what, what's the goal that we want and, and have a plan uh, to exit the organization. And again, a lot of people I'm sure um, that start the new business, they, they're the excitement. They're like, we're getting going. I've launched my own business. This is going to be great. I'm going to have a bazillion customers and all of these great, wonderful things that, you know, their, their dreams and aspirations. So it, it, it's much like a state planning or a will where you're like, okay, we're going to talk about your demise or the end of your life or the end of your business. You know, what do you want that to look like? And a lot of people tend to shy away from that, but it's, incredibly important to plan it out because when opportunities come up, let's say a random you know, merger and acquisition opportunity, um, if you've got your ducks in a row or at least a foundation in place, it's going to make that transaction a lot easier and, and reduce the amount of time it takes, hopefully anyway, for for things to go if, if it's a good idea for you to you know, be acquired or merge with another organization. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I see time and time again where uh, an unsolicited offer arrives, and it's at that point where somebody's struggling to put everything in place, uh, the things that they should have actually already had in place. Uh, and so, like anything, if you had the opportunity earlier on to build it uh, thoughtfully, you'll benefit from that, uh, from that what you've built during the course of of, it, of its existence. And then when you really need to take advantage of it, for example, in a merger or an acquisition or some, uh, some uh, significant transaction, you've got the structure in place that allows you to uh, take advantage of it. Uh, I, I get a lot of calls from people uh, who are about to get audited you know, from the IRS, from the CRA, uh, or they're about to be acquired. And they're rushing to put everything into order at that point. Uh, it's, it's almost a shame because if they had been more proactive, we could have put things into place for them earlier they would have benefited from lower taxes, likely lower taxes throughout the existence uh, of the structure that we've implemented. And they'll give more comfort to the, to the acquirer because they'll be looking at what's been put in place and know that's been done very thoughtfully uh, from, the, from the beginning. So it actually, it actually increases the value of a business. So let me say that again. It's very important for your listeners to understand you decrease the taxes during its existence and you increase the value on a sale uh, when you've done the planning properly. As a lawyer, uh, yeah, you get paid a little bit for putting things into place. You get paid much better when there's a rush or there's a problem at the end of the day. And so you tell the people, don't, go ahead, don't do the planning if you don't want to do it. Once you need me, and I'm here obviously to help at any time, but once you need me, I'm going to get paid better later on if you haven't put the planning into place. And so that's the one, one way that the clients come in the door earlier on in the process. And again, the earlier they come in, the more we're able to help them. And that's the key component. And, and I, I tell this in my background you know, over the last you know, dozen years or so is in the healthcare space. And the thing that I you know, hammered home for people is you know, preventative is so much more cost effective to the healthcare system than reactionary. But the way that um, the insurance companies and governments fund healthcare. It's more of a reactionary thing, and there's no, there's no incentives for healthcare providers, quite frankly, to do the preventative stuff. Although it's a heck of a lot cheaper in the long run, because if someone's taking care of themselves from a physical and mental standpoint, then they're not using the most expensive component of our healthcare system, which would be. Uh, hospitals, emergency rooms, um, if they're in the cancer ward, all of these things are very expensive to the system and in many cases to individuals. If you do the prevention and make some adjustments early on, 
it again, it, it pays pays big dividends where you won't be dealing with that kind of stuff down the road. And it's the same thing with this. It's like just, it, it, and I know it, it when you're launching a business, you, know, you get excited about, you know, spending money on, on tools and, you know, computers. And if you're again, launching a business, you're going, woohoo, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to finally get that new Beamer or whatever favorite car they have. And they don't bother to deal with, you know, the foundation of the organization. So you're basically building something with a deck of cards and that thing can tumble pretty quick. Yeah. And, you know, expose all other assets at the time. So not just the Beamer, but maybe other things that have been collected along the way. When you describe the, the, uh, the healthcare uh, uh, field in particular, you're right. I find, uh, and try not to offend any of your listeners, but uh, people in the healthcare, they have a different skill set oftentimes uh, that uh, one doesn't translate as well to business. I think of uh, the number of physicians that I work with. Uh, so the number of physicians as corporate clients, uh, obviously wonderful physicians in their own right, very good at what they do professionally. A lot of them don't have a very, a very keen grasp of uh, some of the business concepts that are so important to, again, protect them and ensure uh, that they're able to grow and realize their dreams. Again, going back to some of that structuring things that we talked about, uh, physicians can practice through corporations. Uh, and I've, ta- I've spoken with many who have said, well, I don't need to incorporate. You know, I, uh, I've been doing things like this for years and oh, maybe I'm only going to do this for a few more years. There's no sense incorporating. Uh, the math is, speaks otherwise. Uh, you point out to them the fact that if they incorporate, the reduced corporate income tax rate that they'll uh, benefit from uh, will immediately put more money in their pocket uh, uh, to the extent that even if they do it for a year or two, the, the tax savings alone justify putting the structure into place. And it's hard to, it's hard to have healthcare professionals who you know, are so adept in their own right uh, and advising patients all the time on what they should be doing it's hard to convince them sometimes to take some, some good legal advice about what they ought to be doing as well. People are very wary, uh, and a lot of times they're actually very scared of lawyers. And uh, I think it's an important message to say the right lawyer is there to actually help people put things into place for themselves in a way that is going to benefit them. Uh, the same way a good accountant will uh, uh, work with them and, and in so doing, uh, generally speaking, a good accountant is able to generate tax savings that more than justify their fees. So I always say to people, go and speak to people who are experts in their field, accountant, lawyer, or somebody that's struggling or having some of the issues that they might be having with uh, organizing their day-to-day, speak to somebody like yourself. Thank you for that. And I completely agree with your commentary on uh, the healthcare example that you gave me. Um, I've, I've seen it firsthand. And I will leave it at that uh, because I don't want to offend anybody that uh, would be listening to the show that know me personally and probably know where I live. So, (laughs) but I I say, I say that, I say that tongue in cheek sort of, Uh, but you know, it's, it's one of those things again, where, you know, doing the prevention and getting everything really tidied up just makes things easier because then as an organization, you can focus on, doing what you want to do for your business and not backtracking or trying to cover up. And your example of, you know, having things kind of set in case there is an opportunity for a merger or an acquisition or an opportunity, those that are prepared will win. You know, the early bird gets the worm kind of thing. Although I don't know why anybody would want to eat a a worm, but um, (laughs) other than fish and birds, but, uh, but at the end of the day, if you're prepared 
and you're talking with an organization, oftentimes that organization is looking at other options as well. If you're prepared and you've got everything together, they're going to go, wow, they're you know, way ahead of everybody else. We're just going to talk with them. And you'll move things further along. And quite frankly, you know, again, you know, the valuation comment you made a few minutes ago will ultimately make it your business worth more than it is already. And you have a nice exit strategy and you know, it could be a seven or eight figure type of acquisition, depending on what you do. That's not a bad day. Uh, and, you know, in the grand scheme of things, especially if you, you know, are just launching a business and you're going, wow, someone's offering us X millions of dollars you know, for our infrastructure and our patented, whatever um, you, you get in that situation, you're going, hmm, okay. You know, that, you know, sitting on a beach for a while, especially for us that uh, live in the great wide North doesn't sound all that bad. Yeah, it doesn't sound that all that bad at all. And, and, you know, adding to that, um, cause I completely agree adding to that. If they've got things set up the right way, they might be able to allow others to enjoy uh, the fruits of their efforts as well. So realize the most on a possible sale and spread that gain amongst, uh, ideally fam- family members as well will have the effect of reducing a capital gain, allowing, uh, uh, the fruits of the labor to be realized and perhaps other family members to enjoy. So yeah, real, real important to put plans in place uh, for when times are good in contemplation of even better times. And then of course, like we were talking about before is if, if, if they were actually bad times or other times. Uh, I do a lot of work for um, business owners who are giving thoughts to their legacy as well. So their estate planning, if you will. Uh, and so they've spent time building businesses and uh, uh, creating wealth. And it's important for them to, consider what they want the future of that to look like as well. A lot of people want to help out family members, which is uh, certainly a very lofty ideal. A lot of them also want to benefit organizations that have been near and dear to them during the time that they've been growing a business. And all, all of that can be done with proper planning. Uh, you know, a simple will will accomplish a lot of that, but there's effective tools that can be used through a will itself to leave legacies that live on. Uh, if people work hard, people, as you say, building these businesses and creating this value, some of them create vast wealth. Uh, and uh, the, the money itself is, is one uh, very noble goal, uh, but there are others that other people like to achieve as well. And I think a lot of them towards their in their life are realizing that there's some of these other things they want to make sure they've set into motion as well so there could be an existence beyond them. And that's what we can do a lot through legacy planning as well. A very important thing. It fits into business structure from that beginning phase, and then as, as wealth is being accumulated, uh, similarly, putting a structure, a plan into place to ensure that all goals are being realized over the course of a person's life and even beyond. And it's so spot on too, because, you know, for those of us, you know, that have you know, children and you know, we launched a business or have some businesses, ultimately we want, you know, to have something to leave behind, whether it's a legacy or maybe they want to carry on the business or they may you know, want to have the opportunity to say, you know what, we don't want to do this. We're going to sell it and, and, and do it in such a way where uh, it sets, it sets things up. Yeah, really well. You know, I can I can think of an example of a family-owned grocery store that I um, worked at when I was a teenager, and you know, the family had owned uh, that grocery store since the 1920s, so it was a family-ran business for a very long time, and you know, multiple generations. And unfortunately, um, the oldest son that was ultimately going to be taking care, you know, taken over from from the dad, uh, had passed away. Uh, from cancer at a very early age. He was in his mid forties and and he was basically, everyone knew that he was going to be running things and everybody, you know, thought 
this is great. You know, this organization is going to carry on for another, you know, 30, 40 years without any issue whatsoever. And when Paulie passed away, um, you know, the rest of the family members didn't have a combination of the desire or the skill set to do what he could do. So ultimately, you know, when the dad had passed away, you know, there were some other family members that kind of ran the business, but then they ultimately sold the business to another chain. And I have no idea how much they made, but, you know, based on interactions from, you know, people that I knew, you know, that were related to the family, you know, they didn't get anywhere near what they probably deserved uh, for the business as successful as it was. Um, single location grocery store in this you know world of uh, mega grocery store chains and all of that, and they they were able to compete and beat you know the big chains uh, year after year after year, and their prices were higher, but they they were able to do it because they had absolutely amazing customer service, and the and the things that I learned there as a teenager have carried me through my entire career. And when people say you know how how are you so good with people and customers and all of that, it's because I worked bagging groceries when I was a teenager and I dealt with every race, every creed, every age group, every wealth level. So it taught me how to work with people. And it saddened me when, you know, when the family ended up selling the business because I knew that it was a lost opportunity, I think, for, for a lot of people uh, down the road and, you know, including the family members that, you know, quite frankly, should have probably got a lot more out of the deal than, than they could have. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I've seen that play out time and time again, Michael, uh, um, these wonderful businesses that they're built up, uh, uh, over the years, all the goodwill has been generated, especially a family owned business. Uh, I can, I can almost guarantee you that, uh, they would have sold it for less than they might've otherwise been able to, if they had, uh, have implemented some steps along the way, one being, a succession plan that wasn't dependent all on one person. Now, circumstances me me what they were. Maybe they didn't have options, uh, and of course, there's an untimely de- death there as well uh, that complicated matters. But the reality is, for a business, uh, to the extent that you're able to uh, ensure that you're working key people out of their positions at the business, you're actually going to increase the value of the business, and that's one uh, situation. Uh, from this one uh, circumstance in the situation you just described that would not have been available. Uh, again, as I say, I see it time and time again. I'm doing a, I'm working on a matter right now where it's a third generation uh, family owned business. And um, not unlike what you just described, uh, the, so the grandfather began the business and uh, the father was, uh, in, uh, was, was controlling the business and running the business and died uh, at, an, at an earlier age than expected. So the third generation, there were three kids uh, that uh, uh, were to inherit the business. Uh, one who was the natural uh, assumed earlier on, uh, the business earlier on than he ought to have, uh, and uh, was, uh, uh, again, because things weren't put into place properly, there's quite a bit of legal work involved. During the transitioning phase from father's estate to uh, son, uh, or grandson, I guess the way I was describing before, uh, grandson was not quite the operator that either he or his uh, grandfather had been and uh, was basically driving in the ground uh, unbeknownst to the other two siblings. Uh, and so by the time uh, all the legal got uh, completed, um, there was very little left for the two, uh, two family members that uh, were not um, 
uh, I guess, according to the family plan, to be participating in the, in the future of the business. Fortunately, the grandson had destroyed the business in that process. And the only people that were getting paid throughout the, let's call it the uh, exercise of figuring out what happened to all the money were the lawyers, right? The lawyers and accountants were going through the exercise uh, of uh, figuring out how the, how the son had squandered everything. And it's very unfortunate for this family because at the end of the day, it was the state's money that was being used to fight a son who was using the business's money to fight the estate. Uh, and they basically dwindled away a, a very, um, a, 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 at a one time, very profitable family business because they didn't have their proper succession into place. And uh, also because there was one person that uh, was perhaps not as noble as his, uh, as his uh, predecessors had been as well. But again, another cautionary tale to make sure that people are thinking about uh, the way they want to transition uh, making sure there's a plan in place, which will involve uh, a number of factors, as we talked about the structure, but also working themselves, hopefully working themselves out of position uh, and making themselves so they're not, uh, the business is not totally dependent on them. It's a very, very key thing. And we're constantly working with clients to say, what would happen if, if you actually died? What would be the impact on this business? So making sure that uh, um, there are proper power of attorneys in place, uh, the proper channels set up in terms of corporate governance and uh, approvals. Uh, right down to the banking and how uh, banking could continue for a period of time where accounts might be frozen. Yeah, it happens time and time again. And yeah, unexpected changes in, in leadership can really um, impact an organization, the organization that's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, helping out and quite familiar with, you know, their founding um, father of the organization who launched the business 34 years ago, you know, passed away about nine months ago and they were without um, a leader for, for several months. And, um, but they had a really strong, resilient team that knew how to do things and could, you know, take the opportunity and do things. And they, they, they knew that uh, he was, you know, ill. So they started moving things along. So they did have a little bit of leeway on it, but it, it it's, an important lesson for every organization, you know, don't have a central point of failure. You know, if, you, if you're a Star Wars fan, you know, don't have that one little spot in the Death Star because the rebels will always find it. And it, then next thing you know, you're blowing up, you know, a, a thing and because they had a central point of failure. And the same thing goes with your businesses. If you don't um, have, if you don't have plans in place, you know, to replace people or at least standard operating procedures, it can be traumatic and really difficult for everybody that's left behind to try to figure out how to do things. And of course, when you get in the accountants and the attorneys involved too, there's a lot of digging that they have to go through because they have to make sure that everything is done right. And you know, they're not necessarily familiar with your business because they're not working in it. So they have to you know, get up to speed on how things were done. So, you know, that, that is very you know, costly to businesses and everybody else. Yeah, and it's more costly when the when the principal decision makers are not around. For example, if somebody's passed. Uh, so I like to say to I you know I like to play what ifs with clients and say, okay, so what if something did happen to you? What would it actually occur? Um, and in answering those questions, and you know, even going back to something as simple as banking, uh, if they're the only name on a bank account, uh, things are going to be frozen. And you talk to them what bank policy looks like uh, in regards to that. Generally speaking, a bank is going to freeze a bank account if there there's more than ten thousand dollars in the account. Um, so, and you'll require, you know, the equivalent of probate, whatever state or uh, province uh, someone might be listening, the equivalent of probate would be required to get a release of the funds. So, you're pointing out to clients that uh, funds will be frozen. Is there enough cash from other means or generated by the business to support what's required to be supported during the time in which accounts may be frozen? If not, well, let's 
get something set up that'll allow that to actually occur. Uh, so I like to play a what if, uh, and you pick a couple of key dates. You know, you say, well, what, what if you died now? What if you died in five years? You know, you don't need to be overly morbid. It's a conversation that you have with a lawyer or accountant, a planner, somebody like yourself is sitting down and actually helping someone execute a plan to pick a couple of dates and consider what things would look like uh, if uh, there was a, a traumatic event or even, frankly, a happy event. Uh, you know, what would a sale look like on this date? What does sale look like on that date? Play through a couple of scenarios. Usually the structure is going to support either the good or the bad. If it's, if it's properly planned, I mean, ideally you're dealing with the good, but it's going to be, it's going to support the bad as well. Pick a couple of dates, play a couple of what if scenarios, and then uh, implement, implement a plan that's going to uh, allow for those to be realized. And those, that plan is going to include simple things like a will. It's going to include a contingency for somebody to help operate the business and uh, a way of dealing with the issues that arise on a day-to-day -day basis, issues that they're dealing with right now, but uh, that could be dealt with in a manner if they weren't actually there to, uh, uh, to take part. And as I say, in doing that, you're actually increasing the value of your business. Each time you do that, you're increasing the value of your business because, again, it becomes more attractive to somebody that might be interested in purchasing it when they know they're not just purchasing a job for themselves. They're actually purchasing a business that operates in the absence of an owner if need be. So a really important thing to play that one-if scenario. It's crucial. And, and when you do that again, as we've talked about throughout our, throughout our chat today, is it makes such a big difference in, in your business both now and the future. So JP, I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's amazing how quickly time flies when we're chatting. Um, where can people find out more about you and the awesome stuff you're doing? And don't forget to mention your very awesome podcast as well. Oh, Michael, that's great. Thanks so much for that. As you say, time flies. It reminds me of uh, the first time we started to speak because uh, we are very like-minded. Uh, for myself, uh, I am the managing partner of a traditional law firm, which is called Conduct Law. Think of how you want to conduct your affairs. Conduct Law, C-O-N-D-U-C-T-L-A-W.com. It's traditional law in that sense. I'm also a business consultant uh, with CPLSPA, uh, which is uh, based in Orlando. Uh, for basically people that are running businesses and thinking about uh, new professional ways of advancing uh, the interests of the business. Uh, so you can find me either in a legal or a business consulting capacity there. And as you say, for the, uh, for the podcast itself, for the other things that I work on, I branded a podcast, The Millionaire's Lure, because I've helped a lot of people actually grow their business in the ways that we discussed here from millions and sometimes even billions of dollars. So a podcast launched uh, discussing uh, with thought leaders and people who have done it and professionals who have helped people do it. Uh, some of the principles we talked about here today. So feel free to check that out. You'll find the, the Millionaire's Lawyer on uh, all the platforms at which podcasts are being presented these days. You can also find it at jpmacavoy.com. So that's jpmcavoy.com. That's awesome. And the audience will have all that information in the show notes. JP, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Um, let's definitely keep in touch and congratulations again on all the success and keep helping all those people make those right decisions from a legal aspect to, to save things down the road. Absolutely. Michael, again, thanks so much. Pleasure as always. I look forward to connecting at the, new, the, at the next summit to the next chance we get to, to get together. Appreciate all your time as well. And thanks for having me on your show. Sounds good, brother. Until next time, everybody be well. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. 
Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.